Seems like forever. We had a Sunday off and a Wednesday off as as a long, long break. But we are done with snow. <laughs> I know this. I know this because we had BLTs and corn on the cob, and that is the official taste of summer. So nice. I don't care what your weather app says. We are done. So uh, you probably heard the story about the political outsider who took over led a country and he wanted to make his country great again and the first thing he talked about was building a wall. Have you heard that story before? (laughs) If you were thinking something else, we're we're talking about Nehemiah. um, No truth to the rumor that he ran on the slogan, make Israel great again. The closest uh, Nehemiah ever came to politics was uh, that he was the king's cupbearer, which meant uh, he didn't just come and, and bring it, um, but he got, a little, he got a little special something, and, and, and he was basically the, the king's wine tester. And that was uh, a signal of, if he dropped dead, you probably shouldn't drink what's in the cup. That was what it meant. That was his, that was his duty. That was his political job right there. That's, that's the history that, that he had with politics. Um, and in the story of Nehemiah, and I know we're going way back, uh, if you've been going through the daily reading, and I was like, well, I've got a, a, a nice sermon all written up, I'm not going to write another one and throw that one away. So, so we're getting a kind of a, a little bit old story, but we're going to go way back about a week and a half ago to, to Nehemiah, and, uh, and to talk about a little bit, some of the stories and some of the things in Nehemiah and, and around Ezra and Nehemiah and and all that history are things that we've kind of already talked about. And I don't want to repeat those sermons. Um, for example, we've talked about the, the building of the temple and, and the metaphor for building the church. We're not going to really recover that ground. Uh, we've talked about the obstacles from outsiders and, and things like that when we talked about Ezra. Uh, we talked about the passion to overcome great obstacles when we talked about David. Uh, we're not going uh, to talk about those things. And, and before, we, before we get into the, the, our lesson from Nehemiah, I want to just kind of briefly review history. Because when we read Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, we're talking about the same basic time period, but it kind of gets all confusing. Because you just kind of read through it, and it's like, there's a lot of hasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasasas
So they first came back and they started the temple. That was the first thing that was, they wanted to get that done. And, and we talked about the building of the foundation. Uh, and, that, and that process of stopping and starting and everything, that took the first 20 years. Now, during this, there was a break, and so they decided, well, I guess since we can't work on the temple, we can build some of our houses. So they started working on their houses, and, and uh, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah come, and they said, oh, why are you working on your houses again? Let's get back to the temple. So, so there's that. That is all mixed into here. And, and so uh, they likely resumed work on the city um, after the temple was done. And so there's this process of, of, of building a city again. And so when we were were reading Ezra, and I mentioned this, between Ezra 6 and 7, there's a period of about 55 years that you didn't know was there. Like, what's going on here? Well, they're building. And nothing's really going on except they're they're building the city. And so Ezra comes back, and Ezra came back to work really on their spiritual condition. And, and, And so the last couple of chapters really talk about some of the problems, not so much with their construction projects. But the people. And some of the problems that, of sin that they were having. And when he comes back, he finds that Jerusalem's not finished. And so he sends a message back. And says, there's, there's a couple of things that have to get done. And so Nehemiah gets a memo. We need some more help. And Nehemiah's got an in with the king. And so... He's sent back to finish the work. Almost done, almost done with construction. And so we're going to turn, we're going to read a couple of different places in Nehemiah. So if you open to Nehemiah, and I'm just going to read our text. It's in, located in three different chapters here. Just read some small sections. We're going to begin in <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, he says, The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with the men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left in the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. It means embarrassment, humiliation. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are burnt with fire. And so, so this is the last thing that had to get done. They had built the temple, and they built the, the city. They built their houses, and everything seems to be going good, except for the wall around the city hasn't been built, and the gates haven't been put back up. Nehemiah chapter 3 it continues. There's a, a, a little bit of a longer section. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Elisha the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it and hung its doors, and they built as far as the tower of the hundred. And they consecrated it. And then as far as the tower of Hananel, next, Elisha, next to Elisha, the men of Jericho built and next to them, Zachor, the son of Imri, built. And the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. 
And they laid its beams, and hung its doors with the bolts and the bars, and next to them Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, and they made repairs. And next to them Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of uh, Meshazabel, made repairs. Next to them Zadok, the son of Baana, made repairs. Next to them the Tekoites made repair. But their nobles didn't put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Pasiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besadeah, repaired the old gate. And they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Melathiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, and the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harniah, the one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the wide wall. And next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, leader of the half of district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumph. I don't know. That's as good a pronunciation as any, I guess. I don't know who names their kid Harumph. He made repairs in front of his house. Next to him, Hadash, the son of Hashbaniah, made repairs. Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section as well as the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him was Shalom, the son of Halashah, the leader of the half district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with bolts and bars and repaired the thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Some of you might say dung gate. Oh, we'll stop there. The nice ending right there, right? Let's move on to chapter 4. Let's move on to chapter 4. We're going to even read a longer section here. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant. And he mocked the Jews. And he spoke in front of his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the rubbish stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was next to him and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox walks on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn our reproach on our own heads and give them plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from in front of you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half of its full height. For the people had a mind to work. So it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem was being restored and the gaps were being closed. They became very angry And all of them conspired to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish we can't build the wall. And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything until we come into their midst, and we will kill them, and we will make the work stop. And so it was when the Jews who lived near them came, they told us ten, ten times, From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. 
So I positioned them behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I put people according to their families with their swords and spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it happened when the enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his own work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked on construction, and the other half held spears and the shields and the bows and wore armor. And the leaders were behind the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked on construction and the other they held a weapon. And every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And, one, and the one who sounded the trumpet was next to me. And I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held spears from day till the stars came out. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be on guard by night and working by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of guard who followed me, except... Uh, we even took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off when it was time to wash clothes. There's a lot here. First of all, I want to talk about what walls and gates are. What is a wall? A lot of times you'll hear people talk about, we should build bridges, not walls. Well, I'm here to tell you that God is into building walls. Just so long as we understand what a wall is. Walls have different functions, depending on where you live. And we went to Berlin, and there, walls were to keep people in. Right? That's what the Berlin Wall was for, it's to keep people in. But most places, walls are to keep people out, right? or to keep roofs up. That's the other thing that they're very good at doing. They're a means of keeping a person safe. Right? Countries have walls because it makes a good place to stop people who they may or may not view as keeping us safe. But it is more than that. A wall is a way of preserving an identity, a cultural identity. Um, if you look at aerial photos, a lot of times you can tell where the border of a country is and you can tell that there is a difference, a, a, a dramatic difference between the ideology and philosophies of those two countries just by the difference at the border. One of the, one of the most interesting places to look at is on one island, if you look at the border of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. You know, Google that and look at the difference. And you can see that one country doesn't mind clear-cutting their entire forest. And it's, it's just empty mountains in Haiti. And you can look at the Dominican and you, and you can see just how beautiful it is. It's like, what a wall did. What one wall did. And one has a particular identity and obviously another has different values. And that's what a wall does. What it means to us. You see... They knew that they were vulnerable. 
They knew that their way of life, not just their safety, but their, their way of life and their identity was, a, was being threatened. And so to ensure safety, they would have to comply with their wishes of those around them as long as they did not have a wall. They said, we are humiliated. We're unsafe, but we're humiliated. And, and, and several times throughout here, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 7, when they started building the wall, you see that they became very angry. Oh, at first they just mocked. At first they just made fun when they thought it wasn't going to work. But you see that once it starts being successful, once the, the people around them start realizing that they're losing their influence in Jerusalem, that the gaps are starting to get closed, we're going to have less influence inside Jerusalem. When this wall gets built, they become very angry. Because these people are going to be able to control their identity. And we will lose that. The church has a culture that was designed. And God has some means of making sure that we preserve our safety spiritually and our identity in Him. But God didn't just build walls. He built gates. A lot of gates. There's a lot of gates. Gates are made to get in. Gates are for getting in. And so God has a means by which people enter. Walls and gates have different functions. Jesus talked about groups of people. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Come in at the gate. And he said, those who come over the wall are what? What are they? Thieves and robbers. People who do not want to come in at the gate are people who want to take. They don't want to do things the way God wants us to do. They're not interested in the identity. They're interested in controlling the identity and changing it. They don't want to do things the way God wants. They want the benefits, but they don't want to change. And so there are rules and there's behaviors that God has established. And it is up to us to preserve. And that is our job to build and to defend and to preserve this identity, the culture that God outlines in here. And I want to look back into our text and notice just a couple of things as we, uh, as, that we went through. There's interesting notation to compare a couple of different groups in Nehemiah <clears throat> chapter 3 verse 5 it talks about the Tekoites and um, different versions say it different ways actually like uh, a different translation than the one I have that says uh, next to them uh, the Tekoites made repairs but the nobles would not stoop to work for God would not lower themselves to God's level to work. That was beneath them. The nobles of Tekoa. Tekoa was a small village. 
and shepherds lived there. Common, ordinary shepherds. People considered the lowest on, on the employment rung. And their nobles were too important to contribute. We are too good for this. And yet, we read a little bit later that the ruler, Malchijah, from uh, Beth Hakerem worked. <coughs> Beth Hakerem was, um, it's actually, uh, now it, uh, it's a, it is a prominent military, or was a prominent military site. It's, a, it's just a weird, strange mountain. It's like a perfect cone. It, like, almost like it was artificially made. And, and so it was a, there was a beacon set there. And then they had a trumpeter. It was kind of like a, like a, a, a post for, for alerting the city of Jerusalem because of its, its proximity uh, to it and its height. And it was just a, a great place to, to have a military outpost. And so the people there were given kind of a, an important position in guarding Jerusalem. Their nobles were willing to work. But these shepherd nobles, no, this is beneath us. What, what an interesting contrast. I find. And what did Malkijah, the ruler of this important city, do? He worked on the dung gate. And yes, it was for what you think it was for. The dung gate. There is dirty work to do. When we are guarding brothers and sisters, and when we are trying to preserve an identity there's dirty work sometimes to do. When we work with people, it requires us to go beyond ourselves. And some people think, that's beneath me. No, it's not. No, it is not. Christ did stuff that was beneath him. Oh, I can't get involved in that. Christ got involved in that. We're planning outreach in community and guess what people in the community have have done things to their lives and the only way to get people through the gates is to get involved and get dirty some people say well that's not my gift we like to talk about talents we like to talk about talents a lot and it is important to try to to match your talents marry your talents up to to things that the church is Needing, And there will be some talk about that as we start talking about the future and goals and things like that. There is talk about talents and, and gifts and things I like to do. But I want to go back. There's a reason I read that long list of names. It wasn't just because I like reading weird names. Look at who gets involved in building on the walls. We look from verse 8 through 12. A goldsmith. A goldsmith builds a wall. You think that was his talent? A perfumer. A perfumer builds the wall. One guy was unlucky. He had four daughters. Not a whole lot of manual labor there. Guess what they did? They built the wall. Don't make a difference if it's your gift or your talent. The question is not, what can I do? The question is, what is there to do? It makes no difference if you can do it. There's a theologian, he's also an author, a mystery author uh, in, in England. 
He said, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. G.K. Chesterton. The idea is, if it should be done, it doesn't make a difference whether you think it's going to be done perfectly or not. Better to do it and have it done. Maybe the wall doesn't look as great as it was, but it's a wall. And it will function better than no wall. And sometimes we go, I can't build a wall like they built a wall. I can't do that like they did that. don't care. Do. Until someone comes along who can build a wall better, build a wall. So how do I build? Well, chapter 4 gives us another interesting thing. Another problem we have with building the wall. Another problem we have in, in preserving the church and the identity of the church and all of the things that go in that and, and, and building those gates through which people come. A lot of this, we have a problem and it's answered in chapter 4 verse 17. It says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked the construction and with the other they held the weapon. They multitasked. A lot of times we think, I am too busy for fill in the blank. No, you're not. Try building a wall with one hand. I mean, a real wall. Try and do that sometime. They did it. They multitasked. We all have lives and we're all busy at something. But for the safety and the growth of the church, we are going to have to learn to multitask. One other thing in here that's interesting. As you go through this list, we find out how they built. Did you notice where they built? All these families, where did they build? In front of their house. They built in front of their house. That's how it came together. They built where they lived. And so if you're going to build, and if this thing is going to come together, you're going to have to build where you live. And if there's an emergency, you run to your neighbor's house, and that's what happened, right? But the gate, there's a gate where you live. And there are people that can come here and be a part of this, and this whole group and this identity, that are people where you live. They are not where I live. I have to work where I live. And this thing came together. It says that no one liked it. All these other people, they didn't like it when they saw the gaps coming together. Because it meant everybody was working together and doing what was in front of their house to do. I'm telling you, if we all work where we live and the gaps come together, we won't be worrying about this. And we won't be worrying about this or this. That will not be a problem. Work where you live. We got a VBS coming up. And my guess is that not too far from you are families with little kids. Work where you live. Things like that throughout the whole year. Work where you live. I don't know those people. You do. Work where you live. And we're going to close. Understand what a wall is for and what a gate is for. They have great functions. We have an identity. God designed it. It's in here. 
a blueprint for what he wants us to be. And we, we're all a part of preserving that. But we're also a part of, of getting people through the gates to be a part of it. And it's not something to keep people out. I want to bring people in. Bring people in the right way. Maybe you have not come in. Maybe you're here on a temporary visa. Become a part of what this is. Accept the identity of what God wants to put on your heart if you've not become a Christian. And become a part of that family that's, that's defending the wall and bringing more people in behind you. We're going to stand and sing.